Hello, friends. Uh, so let's just start with a little introductions. Uh, my name is Friend, for the purposes of this. And um, I was not raised a Christian. I was raised in a very hostile atheist household, but I always had this curiosity. Christianity loomed large in my presence, um, and, and in good ways and in bad ways. And the people who were the most likely in my life to keep me from becoming a Christian were Christians. On the playground, as a little girl, I had never even heard anything about Jesus, really, except through my mother, and that was not going to be good. So when I encountered Christians at school, I'm talking about elementary school, they could pick up on little things that they, somehow they knew I wasn't one, and they were cruel, mean. And I thought, oh, I'm never, I, I see what my mom's talking about, I'm never going to want to do that. And I see that still as an adult. It, it breaks my heart that um, the most prevalent impression non-Christians have about Christians is that they're mean. And I can't handle that. So uh, this is my tiny, tiny attempt to try to bring justice to that. Um, God is beautiful. He loves you. He made you. He wants nothing but the best for you. And... Um, once I started to understand him, it made all the difference in the world. But you know who, who actually, in the end, was the one who cracked the door open for me was this woman that I met. She was a patient of mine, and I was very, very young still. I was only about 19 or 20, probably. And she came into my office, and I thought, oh, here we go. She owns a big, uh, big giant church and she has her own TV station with her husband, and they they praise God on TV, and I thought, oh man, here, she's gonna condemn me to hell, she's gonna, ugh, it's gonna be ugly. And instead, she said, well, so what do you believe in, honey? Because, of course, the topic came up, and, and I said, well, I guess I just believe in a loving energy that created us all and, and guides us all. And she said, Oh, then, then we do believe in the same thing, period. That was it. That's all she said. And, and then she just went on with herself. And, and that cracked the door open for me because she didn't slam it in my face, basically. She cracked it open and let me peek inside and, and peeked my curiosity. And I thought, oh, there is a ground that we both stand on and it's love. And I, I remember these little pins that were being handed out when I was a teenager and they just said, you are loved. And I needed to hear that so bad. And I didn't know who was saying this. Where did these pins come from? Who loves me? And it, I, later I found out that they were some uh, church people that were handing out these little pins that said, you are loved. And it was God and I thought, Oh my goodness, I, I need, like, the, so these little seeds have been planted in rocky soil, for sure, that was full of weeds because people were putting weeds there, but it wasn't, um, it wasn't a dead seed, it, it, it grew eventually, it grew, and then I was a, a 
sort of mainstream Christian for a long, long time who just sort of, I, the way I say it is I, I picked things out of the Christian ether. I, I couldn't read the Bible. I just didn't really have the understanding. I mean, I started in Matthew, and it started with a big genealogy of people. I had no idea who they were talking about, and I thought, oh, I'm lost already. First sentence in, I'm already lost. And I, and I, I skipped over it, and I tried to pick out the good parts, but I was constantly confused. So then I started in Genesis, and I was less confused. But I needed a little bit of guidance, I think, to just get my bearings straight. So this is what I'm hoping to provide for, for you here at this podcast. And um, I, in doing that, I hope to be your friend. And I hope to help you see that God is your friend. Um, some of you already know that for sure, no question, but sometimes there's a question about that. And sometimes people think Jesus is my friend, but God is not. God is scary. God doesn't like me. God is a big, mean fireball in the sky. And I would say to you that I read the Bible with a belief in the Trinity, which means the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost are one entity fully united and also somehow separate entities but what that leaves me with is if I hear God speaking I'm hearing Jesus speak and the Holy Spirit and I cannot divide them period if God said it Jesus says it or at least agrees with it if Jesus says it God says it and at least agrees with it and the Holy Spirit is always there this animating force that you can't see it's like the wind you can't see it but it can pick up a semi and throw it so so um, there are different ways to read the Bible right uh, literally is one way and and that has its purpose in many spots for sure um, a third of the entire Bible is poetry so poetry you don't normally read literally um, when somebody says, my heart is dripping with honey, they don't mean their bloody pump mechanism in their chest is covered in honey. That's ridiculous. That's not how you read poetry. Um, so you can't take everything literally. So we need to be discerning about what's literal and what is poetry, what is song, what is historical narrative, which is a lot of what Genesis is, historical narrative. Um, and, which means that you just took this historical event and put it into uh, like a, a historical fiction format, but it's not fiction. So, um, but it's in this format that makes it timeless. Uh, symbolically or archetypally, um, as in there's archetypes all through it. The patriarchs are archetypes of the way God would like leadership to look. Um, symbolically, if I if I say a swastika, if you see a swastika, you get an immediate download of all sorts of things that that represents. Um, so, in the Bible, we see a serpent acting as the the Satan, the the oppressor, the the obstinate one, the rebellious energy that is opposed to the good ways of God. 
um, that's a symbol. That, that serpent is a symbol, right? So it's something that God created, and it turned on him and bit him. <laughs> and, and that's what a snake can do, right? And it, so we don't take, I don't take that as literally there was a snake uh, that all lies are snakes that I can pick up and hold like an actual cobra or something. That's not how it's meant to be taken, not literally like that, but the snakes is, the serpent is a symbol for a lie, for the father of lies, who is the Satan. So um, what I find to be the most interesting and most helpful is to think of these stories primarily in that way because now Egypt is not a long time ago, once upon a time far away place. It is the place where people use other people to get what they want in an oppressive manner that will use them up and spit them out. And that is Egypt. That's real right here today all the time, right? So um, the promised land is the opposite of that. It's where this the closest we're going to get to living back in the Garden of Eden, which is paradise on earth. Um, but it's, it's us not just hanging out with God all day in the garden like Adam and Eve were able to. We have to get up and go to work and do the things, and God gives us these directions on how to, to do that in a civilized way, to live in the world with other people and learn to love them and take care of them. And he starts teaching us that that's what he wants right in the beginning in Genesis. Um, so that symbolic way can also be thought of as kind of like a divine parable. And of course, Jesus teaches always in divine parable. So the idea that God would also teach in divine parable makes absolute sense if you're thinking through the lens of the Trinity, where God and Jesus are the same entity. Uh, so as for the, the reading style, I've always heard the Bible read by men in this big, booming voice that's so mean and intimidating. <laughs> I can't even do it. And, um, and then Jesus is, has this nice, kind voice of love and authority. And I would say to you that uh, the Trinity, <laughs> if God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are one, then I can read with all legitimacy the voice of God in, in the same voice as I would use Jesus or vice versa because I think uh, Jesus is actually the harder taskmaster than God if we're being realistic, right? God says don't commit adultery. Jesus says don't even look at a woman in lust. That's ten times more intense than not actually having an affair with your neighbor's wife <laughs> so, or husband or whatever. So so anyway, um, so this I think that's why people have encouraged me to do this reading because I read it in a really different way than it's been read before, but I read what's on the page, so I'm not making anything up. I'm just giving a fresh lens to something that's been read a million times, and I think that's what we're supposed to do with it. So, um, and as long as it all agrees scripturally, then we're good. If, if anybody finds a place where it doesn't agree scripturally, um, because you don't know who I am, <laughs> then uh, you'll just have to pray about that, and maybe somebody will uh, 
enlighten me through your prayers that I have missed the mark somewhere. And that's why I like to stay really open to, um, I am a disciple of Jesus, which means I, I am trying to be an apprentice to him. So if I'm trying to learn at his feet, do what he does, mimic him, copy him to the best of my humble little abilities, then I need to stay teachable. If I am a student of, of teacher Jesus, I need to stay teachable. Uh, so if I need to be corrected in a way that I understand something, that's great. I'm uh, All is welcome here. So anyway, with that, let's, uh, let's get started with Genesis. Um, I read from the version, the NRSV, only because when I went to the bookstore, it was the one that had the largest print <laughs> that I could read. So there's nothing particularly special about why I read from this one. Uh, it's a very common through the, the major uh, Christian denominations to, to read through this, but I, I have an app on my phone that I can read um, all the versions. I can just click on a button through Gateway, uh, Bible Gateway, and just see the same passage with all the different variations of Bible. And uh, I love that because they'll use different words and it helps me to understand. So um, speaking of the words as they are on the page, so we have to get our bearings, right? So Genesis, uh, well, the entire New Test Old Testament is written in Hebrew, right? And the New Testament is written in primarily Greek or possibly a little bit of Aramaic. Aramaic and Hebrew are essentially the same language um, for all intents and purposes. Uh, I'm trying not to go down too many rabbit holes here. So basically, Hebrew, and and the amazing thing about Hebrew is, look this up, people. If you, if you Google Hebrew uh, alphabet, Aleph Bet is the first two letters, Aleph and Bet, A B. Um, they and and then compare that to a periodic table of elements like you have in chemistry, they're almost identical. So the Hebrew language is a language that is used to build things, which is what God is going to use to build the universe. He's going to use this Hebrew language, which is amazing. So this is the language, this was Jesus' native tongue, Hebrew slash Aramaic, and he also spoke Greek because that's the area that he lived in. Um, and also he's God, so he speaks every language, if you ask me. But um, in this book, this is what we see. He lived in Egypt for a while. He probably spoke some Egyptian, whatever. So, uh, uh, but the Hebrew language is building blocks. So each letter has a shape, just like our letter A has a shape, but it doesn't mean anything except that you say the word ah when you see that. But theirs has meaning in every single Shape. So the letter A is the leader, the strong ox, the, the first beginner. <laughs> and, and the letter B is bet. It's like a house. It, I mean, the whole thing is just incredible. And, and then each letter has a number. And so in Hebrew, they use the numbers to add description to a story. So there's all kinds of things in the Bible that are not quite translated in their full because if you look up the names, they add a whole nother dimension to the story. And then if you look up the numbers, they add a whole nother dimension to the story. So these things are not true in English. 
the number one means the n number one. Um, it doesn't correspond with the letter A. Hebrew is quite different, but it's it's used as a building block, right? So that's incredible. And and then um, the words. So these are God's words that we're about to start looking at, and they equal material goods. So God is about to build the universe with the words on this page. Unbelievable. So let's just dive in. And, and all of the headings will say different things, um, the subheadings. So my subheading for Genesis 1-1 says six days of creation and the Sabbath. And the Sabbath will be, of course, it's in the Ten Commandments, and it will be a constant rhythm of life as God wants it to be. It, it signifies the perfection of the creation, and um, he wants us to glorify that every week in the Sabbath. But, um, and I can't do it justice, but let's just try it. In the beginning... When God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was formless and void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. So, in the beginning, when? I don't know. It doesn't say because it's eternal. Eternity is in progress. <laughs> Sometimes people say, oh, this is f my salvation is for all eternity. It started already. There is no it will start, your afterlife will start, but eternity has been in progress since the beginning. Um, so we don't need to really try to date it. It, it. I think if God means it to be important, he can be incredibly detailed and instructive if he wants to look at the building of the tabernacle, but he doesn't give us any actual timeline because eternity is in progress. Um, who created? God created. The heavens and the earth, the, the globe of the planet and, and the whole cosmos. The earth was formless and void. It, it was shapeless and without purpose. And darkness covered the face of the deep. You can't see what's under the, under the deep waters, is what he's talking about. While the wind from God, there's that, in Hebrew the word is ruach, it's the, the Holy Spirit, the animating wind that blows over from God, swept over the face of the waters. And the face of the waters is, in my understanding, the face of God, because God represents himself through the Holy Spirit, the wind, and the holy water. That's why you see wells everywhere. That's why you see streams coming out of the temples. You see um, all of the action always happens around a, a, a sea, the seas, the Sea of Galilee, um, the Red Sea. So water is incredibly important. Without it, you don't have life. It's really hard to overstate, I think, the importance of water in the Bible. So to have life, you need, literally, you need water, air, and dust, which is what he makes humans out of. Or you need some kind of earthly material, but usually that's just dust, and uh, water, 
an error. And so these are the things that he's going to make life out of, and he already made it in the waters. But if you have these deep waters, that's not our space. That's not a human space. We can't live in deep waters like that. We are more willing to try to live on Mars than under the ocean, <laughs> which I always thought was really interesting. But it's God's space. And so he can give it to us in little manageable sizes of like a cup of water will sustain us. A flood of water will kill us. He has control over the waters and, and his presence is in the water. Okay, so that's just a super solid, absolutely need to get that into our heads from, from the first sentence because it will matter all the way through. Then God said, so he starts to speak and things start to happen. And, and this is also a pattern that he wants to establish. If I say something, it happens. If I say something to a creature that I gave free will, I still want it to happen. It, but it will now be up to me as the creature with free will to match my free will to his good will. And as, if I do that, I am with God. I am as close to God as I can be if I match my actions to his commands, his requests, his good nature. This is what he wants. This is the this is the pattern. So then God said, "Let there be light." And when he says things, he means he brings beautiful things to bring light in the darkness. We don't have to be in the dark that often anymore when we are, we are terrified terrified and he brings light right away to that terror and there was light he said it and it happened and God saw that the light was good of course it's good and God separated the light from the darkness so he separates all through this little this re repetition is a type of poetry a type of Hebrew poetry when we see the repetition that's going to go on in, in the creation and uh, he's going to make things and then he's going to separate them from kind of good and bad. The God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, so there was dark first. And I think that that is true for a lot of our lives. It's always darkest before the dawn. Um, so in the Hebrew calendar, the date, the day the 24-hour period starts in the evening and it's like that because of this sentence right here and there was evening and there was morning the first day so um, the evening represents that sort of dark period where we have to hang on extra tight to the words because we can't see the light and then the dawn comes and we have the day. That is absolutely beautiful. And and I think he marks it with a beautiful sunrise every day. Every day it comes up and it's beautiful. And that right there tells me he is absolutely dependable for all eternity. All eternity he is dependable. He is solid. He is real. The sun is real. Even if the sun disappears one day in eternity, there are other suns. There's other planets. He is B 
beyond our scope of understanding and he is right here under our feet and i think for today that's that's enough but um what a beautiful book <laughs>